podcast with Dan and Scott. Hottest golf podcast, whether you like it or not. Fresh from back in the day when that's a put at the park. 7 a.m. PM special where they played after dark. From the birds to the focus to the losses and the win. Welcome podcast, patron to the show, lead the pen. Get busy golfing or get busy dying. Hottest golf podcast and the swing ain't lying. Welcome back, podcast patrons, to another episode of Leave the Pin Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dan, and I got my good buddy on, Brian Spitz. Uh, Brian and I met at Stockton Valley at the U.S. Senior Open last year in 2022. Brian had qualified for. Um, I saw him walking across to the chipping green, carrying his bag, and I was like, that's awesome, because you know everyone else you see has got a caddy, this, that, and other. I was like, that's, that's a real guy right there like that's a real pros pro that I want to meet like I felt like you know kind of instant connection I carry my bag everywhere all the time and I was like he was just so low-key and you know unbeknownst to me two days later strike up a friendship where I spent the the uh better part of the the uh tournament championship time following him around got to see him make uh, an, an incredible birdie on the on the 10th hole which just blew the crowd away and it was it just capped off an, an awesome week there for me and an awesome experience, um, kind of talking to him a little bit, getting to know him. So, Brian, welcome to the podcast. How's everything? Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, of course. Uh, full disclosure, Brian and I had a complete pod recorded literally weeks after the U.S. Senior Open. It's very topical at the time. And um, our old hosting site completely lost it uh deleted it um i i still don't know to this day never got any feedback so so they're gone they're out the window new hosting site everything's good to go and uh you know brian and i are finally able to work it out to get him on uh so brian tell people a little bit about yourself you know where you're from southern massachusetts is where you are right now so that kind of really connects to our northeast fan base here and you know, we kind of suffer through the winter. You, you've got your hoodie on, your hat. Same thing for me. I understand. Um, give people a little bit of a background uh, of who you are in the golf space. All right. Yeah, I grew up in Norwell, which is a suburb of Boston, about 20 miles southeast of Boston. And I got introduced to the game by my dad. And, you know, he introduced it very slowly. You know, we go out a couple times a year. And then when I was about 15, I really got hooked on the game. I wanted to do it every day. And, you know, you can't do that every day up here. So it was mostly a summer gig. Uh, and I started to play in some individual tournaments. Um, we didn't have a high school team at my high school. So I was, you know, handcuffed, you know, during that time. So I would just play in individual events throughout the summer. And then I really wanted to go to college and play golf. And I, you know, I saw the Division One. I, I didn't really know what it would take to be a Division One player. And obviously I didn't go there to a Division One school. But I, you know, I really looked into it and tried to find out how I could get to a Division One school. And obviously, you know, starting fairly late and not really having a high school um, golf resume. I, after my senior year of high school, I took a year off uh, and went down to Florida, worked on a golf course, and played golf. Uh, I didn't really play in tournaments. I just played on the courses down there. This was down in Tampa. 
I just can't believe my parents let me do that. <laughs> it's pretty awesome, honestly. <laughs> yeah, they just dropped off, and um, you know, we met a. I met a guy down there. Previous, um, this wasn't just a, a put together thing, but it kind of was. Uh, so I met a guy down there, kind of doing the same thing. He was a better player. He was from Massachusetts as well. Uh, Mike Elliott, and I had I didn't know him at all, and he was about three or four years older than me. And you know he was a Division One player, and so he was doing the same thing. He was working at the course as a as a cook, and then he would go play for six weeks or six months. Uh, I think it's like six to eight weeks over in the Sunshine Tour, which is in South Africa. So he would make some money, you know, doing odds and ends at the club, and then he would go and play in tournaments over in South Africa. Uh, so I stayed with him uh, in a con- in an apartment right off uh, right off the golf course, and you know I played that whole that whole winter, then came back over the summer and won a few tournaments, um, and then. You know, he had introduced me to the school that he was going to, or that he had gone to, which was a junior college. And then from, you know, basically that summer to this place called Abraham Baldwin Agricultural College in Tifton, Georgia. It was a two-year school. I did turf grass. So I did the turf grass degree, associate's degree, because uh, I wanted to be involved with golf. I wanted to either work at a course or be a pro somewhere or, or play or play for a living. So I really just wanted to be around golf. So I got the associate's degree and then the, a school right about 15 miles north of Tifton called Valdosta State. I'm sorry, I think it's south of Tifton, uh, about 15 miles. Uh, Valdosta State, so they recruited me. That's a Division two school. And so I played two years at Valdosta State. And we were ranked probably top five. Uh, in both my years there, I was the like number two or three player. And from that, you know, I wanted to go pro like after that experience. And I actually had to do one more year of school because all my credits didn't transfer from the uh, two year school. And so then uh, in, I think it was in 90, 93, I decided to go pro and uh, I got a job in New York uh, as an assistant pro and, you know, started playing in some tournaments in that realm because when you become a, I wasn't a PGA member yet. That wasn't until 2002, but, you know, in that, when you're an assistant, you get to play in like some of the section events and I was in the Mets section, which is a really high, high end playing, like all those guys can play. All yeah, what uh, what course were you at in New York? It was called Salem Golf Club. Okay, and it's in North Salem, New York, just outside of Connecticut. Out of um, what's that town? I think it's in Connecticut. It's just on the border of Connecticut. It's like northern Westchester County. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, so it's pretty pretty far away from the city, about an hour from the city. Yeah, and you're right. That's a that's an extremely competitive section. Uh, it, it, at least in the Northeast, you've got that and Philly as as yeah. two of the real powerhouses. Yes. Yeah, and you know, awesome courses. The course I was at was a private club, but it was very not well known. 
but you got so many courses in that area that are just like ridiculously famous and awesome. Uh, so I was in that section for about five years. I also did a course called Walkabuck as an assistant pro, and that was just a one-year stint. Then I came back home. Um, I have some younger brothers and sisters, and you know I kind of want to see them like they were playing some sports. And uh, so I came back and got a job at a course uh, in the area near my house. And then a course opened up right next door to my house pretty much. And it was called Black Rock Country Club. And I got a job there. I spent nine years at that course as an assistant. So all these jobs that I had were assistant pro jobs. Um, and obviously during your jobs, you'd be playing with the members or you'd be teaching lessons or, you know, uh, doing the tournaments, um, staying in the shop, you know, kind of just being a, a golf pro talking golf. And, you know, I did this job because I wanted to play golf. And obviously when you're in the job, sometimes that doesn't happen. You know, it's, it's a lot of work. It's a six day a week job, usually sometimes seven. And it's not a lot of time to play. And then when you want to play, it's your day off and you kind of don't want to be there. Right. So, yeah, I mean, you hear that a lot, right, from people in the golf industry. You hear all the time that, you know, man, you should be playing so much golf. Like you must play every day, 36 holes a day. Yeah. But it seems like to me anyway, at least the people I've spoken to, the deeper you are in the golf realm, sometimes the less you play. Yeah. You're right. And it's sort of a double-edged sword because in order to play well, you kind of have to play and practice. Yeah. yeah. You can't just pick up the clubs after two weeks off and go out and shoot what you should be shooting as a pro maybe, you know, and sometimes that that's why the guys don't play anymore is because they're embarrassed to actually go out and play with the members because the members think, Hey, this guy's a pro. He should be shooting, you know, in the sixties, every time he goes out, you know, and it's, it's kind of like that. If you don't show yourself playing, then, you know, members kind of stay away and don't, that's why you hire playing assistants, you know, people who can go out and play with your members that have the time to play. So did you ever get a chance to use the Turkgrass degree at all? Well, I did some, I did an internship, you know, when I was at school, um, actually did two internships at a local club up here. Um, but other than that, no, I'd never really, um, you know, I didn't work at a club other than the internships as far as a, like the greenskeeper stuff. Okay. So it went kind of like right into being an assistant pro. Yeah. Again, that was just like a backup. Like it was just like, if I could, if I can't play, I want to at least be around the course. Yeah. 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 You know? And that job that I had, in Florida, when I, after high school, was, you know, on the greens crew. So you'd wake up at, oh, dark 30, you'd get done. <laughs> at, then you'd play until dark. Um, so that's what I did. And, yeah, it was, it's pretty pretty fun being out in the mower, not having to talk to anybody. And you're only going as fast as the mower, right? So yeah. it's pretty relaxing, I think, if you can get up that early and survive the uh, the early morning. Yeah, I, I tell people all the time, like, I, I love my home landscaping and stuff. You know, I think it's super cathartic being out cutting the grass and 
and then being able to visually see the the change in it and it's like you know job well done you get that sense of accomplishment when you finish and i'm sure it's the same thing when you're out there you know cutting and rolling greens and striping fairways and stuff like that yeah it's it's really yeah it's fun i think i mean it's not for everybody but now, with, with the assistantships, and, and one thing I've always kind of seen like at my local courses and stuff like that, it seems like the head pros are the guys that have been there for a longer period of time. And, and the assistants kind of, you know, not so much a revolving door, but they don't stay as long. And, and I'm assuming that's because you're all working your way up to try to be a head pro somewhere else. Is that, am I kind of on track with that? Yeah, I agree. I think there's two ways to think about it. You know, getting experiences at different clubs uh, can really help your resume as a head pro. But then staying at one club can also help you be a head pro somewhere. Because if that club, say it's the country club, right? And that's pretty well known in most states. And in New England, it's really well known. Yeah. And the head pro there really has a lot of pull. He's on the inner circle of some of the greatest clubs in the in the in the world and he can get you that job you know uh, but you have to be on top of your game like you have to want to be a head pro you don't just go to the country club as an assistant and you know just go through the motions it's like you know so i was at a club that you know was kind of a newer club didn't have the acumen that the country club has but um and i don't think i really wanted to be a head pro i really wanted to play so I use the assistant title to kind of be able to play a little bit more than a head pro might. So is that kind of like an NFL coaching tree? You know, you watch football on Sundays yep. and you always hear like, oh, you know, Belichick, you know, for, okay, for you guys, right, Belichick's a great example. For me too, he was the Jets head coach for a day and then he, you know, up and left to go to New England. But it, it's kind of like that, right? You've got your your head coach then you've got all your assistants and they eventually end up becoming – head coaches in other places, your defensive coordinator becomes a head coach. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure in Philadelphia, there's a, there's a few courses there. If you were an assistant, the head pro has some, you know, it's kind of an old, not an older head pro, but has been there for a while and has a good coaching tree. Um, you know, they could probably get a nice cush, not a cush job, but a good job of the head pro somewhere really fancy, you know, and, it's just, I think, like you're right, it's the guy's name is Brendan Walsh at the country club, and he's he's put so many assistants in top jobs in the nation uh, that it's kind of like if, if you're coming out of that, you're going to be a good head pro. Um, what was what was the career trajectory for you like, um, you know, going from assistant to playing a ton and then and then becoming, you know, a head and, and joining the PGA of America. What does that look like? Because, I, you know, I told you off air, I've got a bunch of people all the time, and they ask me, you know, a ton of questions about that. And quite honestly, you know, I mean, I know a lot about golf, but that side of it I'm, I'm kind of ignorant to. I know there's the player ability tests, you know, which is like pin set in the middle of greens, and you got to shoot whatever it is, like 275s or, you know, one whatever, 152 or less or something along those lines, but how do you, how do you go from, I guess, first off, let me ask this, how do you even get an assistant, you know, pro job? And then what are the steps when you're an assistant to become a head pro somewhere? Yeah, you, 
I mean, most most courses want a class A professional. So that's, you know, when you get your class A license, so to speak, you'd have to go through the steps of becoming a class A. So that would be passing your PAT. And then I had to go to these checkpoints. So I started in like 94, 95, and I didn't finish my class A until it was 2002. Because it's all self, at least when I went, it was all self-study. So we would go to these checkpoints. We'd take a test and pass our level one. And then we had to pass level two. Then we had to pass level three. And at each checkpoint, they give you like 50 pounds of books. <laughs> and then you'd have to go back. And it, they'd give you a year or two to finish the self-study. And then you'd come back to another checkpoint, take a test. And then do it all over again. You did that for three checkpoints. And, you know, it was a long process. It took me whatever, you know, almost, what, eight years or so. Um, and I think now it's changed a little bit. It's probably more digital, but no more books, probably. Um, but I was doing, like, pictures of doing grips. <laughs> like a head pro doing grips. And, you know, that's kind of a lost art now. You go to the superstore, you go to a chain and get the grips yeah. doing yourself. You, know, you don't go to the golf pro at the club and get your grips done anymore. Yeah, I, I do it in my garage. Right. And so, you know, we had to do like cart fleet management. Oh, just like it's almost like being a GM like of the course, not just a head pro. Um, so you had to do a lot of the and then there was some teaching stuff and then there was some tournament stuff. You know, they really trained you, but it was really all self-study. Um, and I think now the PAT, so what happened was the PAT was the first thing you had to do, and then you could enter the program, and people couldn't pass the PAT. You had guys, you know, that would be in the PAT level for, you know, 10 years or five years. Um, and they could yeah, never- we, we, uh, we had a guy, we have a course near me, um, Shawnee Country Club, uh, misnomer, it's a public course. But it actually held the PGA Championship way back in the day, like in the 1920s. And, and the PGA of America would always hold the player ability test there. And I knew a guy that played the same course that I did who was kind of like transitioning between jobs and didn't really like what he did and said, you know what, I'm going to try to go out and, and take the PAT and just see. And if I pass, right, that'll, like you said, that'll allow me to enter, you know, the PGA of America's program and stuff. And now this is a course, Bri, where, you know, we've probably played a hundred rounds on, you know, you know, every nook and cranny of this course. And he had gotten the pin sheet the day before, you know, and the pins are all set kind of, you know, it's like it's it's set to um, like, you know, the, the actual slope and course rating of it, you know, just very, very mundane, no tough pins, just like hit the fairway, hit the green, take your two putts, move on. And he asked me you know, hey, you want to come and get lunch after the first round because both rounds were in the same day. I played 36 that day. And I said, yeah, man, I'll, I'll, I'll come. Like, I was going to play anyway, you know, and and because uh, they've got three nines, so one of the nines was open for public play. I said, yeah, I would play nine holes, and I'll come back and meet you. I got a text from him. He was on the 17th, and he says, don't meet me for lunch. I'm not coming back for my second 18. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of weird. You know, I was a good player, a decent player, and I took the PAT on a whim just in case I signed up 
I, you know, I, I don't know. I shot 71, 70 or something. And, you know, did, wasn't under pressure, didn't feel the pressure. You know, I was just out for two rounds. And when you think about it, you never have a tournament where you start with a number. Right. Right. Like the cut is always fluctuating. So you're out there and you don't know if the cut's going to be 150, 148. So you're playing, not knowing what the cut is. This time you start and they say you have 156 strokes in two rounds. And basically you're counting down every stroke. So you shoot an 80 the first day, you got to shoot, you know, 76 the second. That second. is, uh, you know, I, I never, yeah, I never thought of it like that it literally you have a tally mark and every swing that you take and every putt you hit just knocks one off and that's got to be a i mean i would think that's probably even more pressure for guys that don't do well in that first round to try to come back yeah. you know and, and pin you know pin hunt every single green yeah it is i mean it's it's really the weirdest tournament because uh, they tell you what you need to shoot before you go out and it's all math it's all you know based on slope and rating and so some courses, it could be 154, some courses, it could be 160, but it's somewhere around that area where you have to shoot under 80 for two rounds. And, uh, yeah, it's really, it's an interesting concept. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I know a couple of guys that have taken it a bunch of times and, you know, and pressure must just build. Sure. Like one mistake is it just gets on you, you know? Now, so you've obviously been someone that has kept competitive at golf, you know, through teaching uh, all these years, you know, obviously qualified for the U.S. Senior Open. So, you know, to say you've kept competitive is an understatement, you know, of, of all time, probably. Um, how how do you do it? How do you manage personally, you know, giving lessons, uh you know, teaching golf and then also keeping up with, with your own game to be able to play at that level. Yeah, I think it, um, I would say my first child was born in 2009. And, you know, ever since that time, you know, your time is cut short. Now, I was still at the club level. Uh, and I was so I was still playing, you know, practicing because when you're at the course, you know, you're playing and practicing like you could be working, you could be, you know, playing nine holes. Um, so that kind of, you know, my first first year with a child, I could be at the course and hit some. And so I was still remaining competitive. And then it slowly diminished because I had, a, you know, another kid at 2015. <laughs> And then 2012, 2015, I had two more kids. So I got three kids. And so by the time, you know, 2015, 2016, I'm not playing in any tournaments. But I am keeping up with it. I am practicing because most of my jobs are, you know, at a, at a uh, facility where I'm teaching. Uh, and that was, that was when I was solely teaching. Um, I wasn't running my own business yet. I was just doing... You know, I think it was at Golf Tech for a little while and a couple other teaching teaching facilities. So I could hit balls. Uh, I wasn't playing much. I maybe play one tournament. I take some clients out a few times a year. Maybe we play in a pro-am, but none of the individual stuff. Um, so it was really hard. And then I see all these other teaching pros not playing and just teaching. 
and they kept saying, you know, for me to for me to go play somewhere is to spend, you know, 150 bucks or 200 bucks for the entry fee. Not sure if I'm going to win money. And then actually, when I take the day off, I'm going to be losing, you know, 500 to a thousand dollars because I'm not having any clients. Yeah, so, that's a that's a that's a great point, and and I guess kind of weighs on a scale every every day, right? Yeah. Do I go play in a tournament to hope to make a little bit, or do I just stick with my job and and make the actual money? Right. And then, or spend time with your family, and then right, right. You know, it's you know, it's basically a vacation day, and so then the family starts asking, well, why, why aren't you spending your vacation day with us? You know, and so golf, you know, became sort of secondary to personal life and work. And so now my kids are a little older and so they're more a little bit more self-sufficient. So that gave me the opportunity in the past years to start playing a little bit more. Um, Over COVID, we built an addition on the house and we dug a little deeper in the basement and we put I put in a simulator. Uh, for business purposes and for personal purposes, uh, purposes. So it was, that's probably the reason why I qualified was because I hit a ton of golf balls in the simulator. So uh, do you, do you do lessons in home as well? I have the ability to, yes. Okay. It's, it's been a little slow that way. I haven't really advertised it or marketed it because the place I'm at is really cool. You can hit from indoors to outdoors so you're seeing real ball flight, you know, people get the, I don't know, the, the indoor space still gives the people, you know, they feel confined. They don't feel like they're swinging the way they should or whatever and or hitting the ball the way they should. And Do you have, do you have, uh, let me ask you this, man. Do you have any insight as to why that may be? Because I'll tell you what, I know that I suffer from that personally indoors even though you know I, I i try to wrap my head around the fact that i can take a full swing and everything and but but somebody that it really affects which is insane is my oldest son who's a, a you know semi-decent player and you know like i told you we've been playing all winter long at our course we've been at our outdoor range but he does lessons indoors he does a fitness indoors our, our simulator has a fitness facility right across you know, you literally walk out of the simulator, you go right across to the fitness facility. You know, it's like 10 steps away. So his Saturday mornings are, you know, sim time, lesson, and then the fitness there. And and I tell you what, we can be there on a Saturday morning and he could literally look like a kid that's never hit a ball before. We go out and play on Sunday, like, and he's just mopping the floor with me. And it's just, it's insane. It is, is like, what's, what's, What's the reason behind that? You've you've seen it for probably so many years. Do you have any insight to that? I don't. I don't. I think, <laughs> oh, I think it's person to person. Like I think it's therapeutic. Like I I step in here and I can you know hit for an hour and you know have a great time. Um, I think when I first did a simulator, it might have felt that way. Like I'm trying to really kill the ball or right, right, trying to show off what's behind me or you know I'm. I'm trying to hit it as hard as I can because there's no result. Like there's no ball, but I <laughs> yards way to the right. But the simulator's showing me that I just can't. It's not, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's just not real. Um, maybe that's what it is. But um, 
I think it's it's really it was really beneficial for me just because usually I'll take not the winter off, but I wouldn't be hitting as many balls as I did over the winter. And that really helped me. Um, cause I hadn't, I didn't play any competitions for three or four years prior to this, uh, you know, last year. Um, Wait a minute. So you, you went from no tournaments for four years to qualifying for the U S open. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's, I mean, I could say I played maybe, I didn't play in any of the section turn, like the section event, like the championship uh, for four, four or five years. Um, I played in a couple of pro-ams where I'm with, I have to shoot a score, but really I didn't play many individual events. I may played a, maybe two or three in those four years or five years. And I just tried to keep my game sharp by hitting, hitting some balls in the range um, and then doing this indoor thing over, you know, was it last two years, two winters ago? And then I played in the U.S. Open qualifier the same year I qualified for the Senior Open because I wanted to at least get a tournament under my belt. And so I did the, the regional and missed it by four shots. So I felt good. Like I played, I mean, I played really well. I had a chance to qualify. I just didn't make it to the sectional U.S. Open. And so I, I had some, you know, at least some good feelings about going in to the next tournament, uh, which was the, the uh, U.S. Senior Open qualifier. And again, like sometimes no expectations is good. Like I didn't expect to qualify and I didn't really know what I was qualified for. Honestly, I don't know. That seems kind of weird, but, you know, now that I've been there, it's going to be more pressure. Because I want to do it again. Yeah, no, I I completely get that. Like I, you know, as an amateur golfer, I, I I say I get that. I don't understand it at your level, but you know, to relate to my own self and to the amateur golfers out there, it's almost like the first time you play a course. You yeah. you don't know where all the bunkers are. Maybe you're not sure about the the cover yardage on a on a trap or a water. Yeah. You know, you hit a drive and you're like, oh my God, if I would have known the waters was there, maybe I wouldn't have hit that. And you probably would have swung a bit differently, you know? So it's it's probably something similar to that. Similar to that. Yeah. It's kind of like you're just going out there freewheeling it, not really caring if, if you mess up because there's, you know, I haven't played for four, four years. So it's like I had an excuse basically. And like the new course is an excuse, you know, to miss a shot. Oh, I just didn't know it was there, you know? But it, isn't that the way it works? Like the, the freer you are and the less expectations you have on yourself, the better you play all the time. Yes, I agree. And uh, I've been learning a lot um, through some, you know, other educational things about, you know, how the mind is and how to be better at that. And it's really helped, I think, just to manage my expectations, even when I have high expectations. You know, it's really it's important to be in that state of mind more often than not. So you, you, you're playing well. Um, and the, the C, the U S open qualifier, that was for the country club, correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So basically everybody in Massachusetts who had any type of golf game tried to qualify. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I played really, I played well, I played well enough to qualify. I just didn't make the putts or whatever. And, so I had to basically then didn't play until the qualifier for the U.S. Senior Open. 
What was the time frame between those two? I think it was uh, like two or three weeks. Okay. And so, so you qualify for the U.S. Senior Open, and they, they tell you it's at Saucon Valley, right? My neck of the woods, 30 minutes away yep. south of me, uh, Bethlehem, PA. And, and what did you know about Saucon Valley, if anything, prior? I looked it up online. I saw the facility, and then I looked, I looked at some of the – I knew the – I didn't know the U.S. Senior Open had been there before. Um, and then I saw that the women's open was there. So I actually watched highlights, you know, of those tournaments on YouTube, okay. uh, and saw the course a little bit. And I know so they do the holes. Um, but it looked like Bruce Fleischer was on fire. One, I think one of the senior opens there, I think he ended up losing to Hale Irwin, but he was like knocking the pin down for like three rounds. So this is this is fast forward in, in the story a little bit, but what were you able to gleam from those YouTube videos that you were able to use once you were on the grounds? Anything at all or no? Probably not. Okay. You know, I follow this guy, Scott Fawcett, who does the decade uh, course management. And, you know, I used Google Earth. So I was trying to you know, go over some of the, the holes and the lines that I would want to take. Uh, for certain distances and um, you know it doesn't really take into account the conditions of the course whether the fairways are firm how deep is the rough you know how many trees are not there or how many trees are they putting in you know it's it's kind of like this google earth thing is you don't know when the the google earth photos are taken but sure it gives you a really general idea uh, of what the course would be and then i had plenty of time when i was there i got there sunday night um, you know, chipped and putted a little bit and, you know, got to see the course Monday. Um, so I did my homework, but, you know, you still have to perform like that's, that's all well and good, but you still have to, you know, hit the shots. <laughs> so walk, walk me through like that practice week. Um, you know, I see it from the media perspective, right? I see, a little bit more behind the scenes than let's say an average person that bought tickets to the event would see. Um, but for you as, as a player, like what does that look like starting Monday morning as you prep for that week there? Well, again, like I said, I didn't know what I qualified for until I got there and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is like, this is big time. This is basically the U S open. And it yeah, is. I mean, it, it's the <laughs> biggest tournament on the senior circuit. Like hands down. No. I, I love I it's that dude that's hilarious I didn't know what I qualify for it's only the biggest tournament all year <laughs> I just I don't know what I thought like I don't know what I was thinking and uh I was there and it was awesome like the facilities are great the clubhouse is great you get free reign of the locker room and eating and you get as many balls as you want to hit and you know the course is great there's stands you know, people are so nice, the volunteers and, you know, the USGA was great, you know, helping me out with rental car or the uh, courtesy car. And, you know, it's just it's like a, it's a tour event. I mean, I've only played in one event where I had a courtesy car and that was, uh, it was at a, uh, a CPC or club professional championship. It was at Kiowa Island. This is the last time they've had you know, the courtesy cars at one of those events, because now 300 people make this event now. 
so they don't have courtesy cars. But this was the second time I've had a courtesy car uh, at an event. So I was used to that. And, you know, it was just, I was expecting more equipment companies. So I was kind of licking my chops when, <laughs> when I got, you know, you know, down there, I was like, man, maybe I can get a new driver or new three wood. And of course there was no equipment companies down there. Um, yeah, I saw, I saw one van, uh, trailer all week and it had like everything in it. You know, it wasn't like the, the companies didn't have their own specific right. trailers there. Yeah. So, and then when you get there and I got there Monday, I started, I played it. So I, I made a practice round at seven thirty, I think on Monday. Of course, not one person is on the course. <laughs> it's just me and my caddy out there strolling around. And I, I hired a, uh, a local caddy for the first three days. And then my brother came down for Thursday's round. Right, right. But, um, you know, so you're out there playing and, you know, you hit it in the rough a couple of times. You're like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be brutal. Um, and so... I think that was a surprise. The greens weren't like firm and fast. They were fast, but they weren't, you know, bouncy. So that wasn't, and then it rained on the first round. So it seemed to play fairly soft. Is what I remember from a U.S. Open, like if you played Shinnecock, you know, it looked like the greens were about to burn out and they were bouncing. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, but the rough, the rough was probably the most, you know, intimidating thing. And I couldn't really think about it. Like I can't stand on the tee and say, don't hit it in the rough. You know, you've got to stand on the tee and just hit a shot and hopefully it stays in the fairway and you've got to be free about it. You can't like tense up and try to guide this thing down the fairway. And so, you know, I, I just said, I'm going to hit driver on most holes and just live and die if I have to hit out of the rough, I'm hitting out of the rough, and I hope I get a good lie. And if I don't, then I'm chipping out and trying to make par from 180 yards. You know, it's. Uh, I thought the greens were really uh, difficult, meaning like Padre won, but I think because he had short irons in the holes, and you had to hit some certain sections on the green. You couldn't just hit the green and and be able to two putt. So you had to hit the certain sections. If you didn't hurt to certain sections, then you had to really control your speed on your putt, which from 50, 40, 30 feet was hard to do because there's so many ridges and slopes and stuff like that. But you remember that 11th hole? That was ridiculous. Like, yeah, Jack didn't speak kindly of that green. When I saw the U.S. Senior Open um, in some of the interviews, he was talking about that green being they should blow that thing up, you know, but yeah. Yeah. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned Padraig having the short irons in and uh funny story practice round. My buddy is caddying for Jay Williamson and we're all on the ninth green there. Kind of that shortish drivable par four. I'm thinking of the correct hole, right? The ninth hole. Gosh. Oh it was ne- like just next to the putting green. Well, that's uh no, it was no. that 10. Oh, was a par three. Oh, so that was 10. So your birdie was on 11? Yes. Okay, okay, okay. So 10th hole. Padraig is on the tee. We are on the green, and Jay's putting, and my buddy Dan is lining him up and kind of coming over to me and just BSing, you know, right outside the ropes right there. Um, you know, and Jay had said something to me, and and I was like, 
what? I couldn't hear him. And he had said, I think they're hitting up on us. And whoever it was, it, it wasn't Padraig first, but the first ball landed at the fringe. Yeah. The second ball, which we come to find out later, was Padraig. He drives the green, and he's got the same distance put in for eagle that Jay had for par because he had hit it in the rough. Yeah. I mean, I played the practice round. I, I, I hit my drive really well on that, that whole one of the practice rounds. And I had like 40 yards, 50 yards in. And so I said, well, I'm going to hit driver here every day. And of course, I never hit the fairway again. <laughs> and I hit it, hit it to one of those bunkers. You know, it's like church pew bunkers about yeah. 18 feet deep. Yeah, some of them. Oh, my God, you can get lost. You need a ladder. Yeah. So needless to say, I think I shot one over par on the, that hole for the week. Um, so it's that type of course though. Like you, you had to drive it either long or fairly straight and he, you know, he hit it long and fairly straight. And when he didn't hit it straight, you know, he's in the rough, but he only had, you know, a lot of wedges. So right. I could see hitting wedges out of the rough, but not, not six irons and five irons and four irons, you know? Did you, uh, did you get to play practice rounds or regular rounds with anybody that was, you know, pretty cool? Maybe you hadn't met before and, and kind of connected with at all. Uh, they were mostly the qualifiers that that we that we played with. Uh, you know, some really cool guys. I think was the coach of a college team. Uh, he was an amateur, and then I played with uh, in the tournament. I played with a PGA professional, which was fun. I knew him from the Mets section, Craig Thomas. He's a nice guy, and we had played in some tournaments together in the Mets section. Um, but other than that, I really didn't play with any you know, high profile guys, uh, you know, I hit balls next to them, but I didn't really get to play, uh, practice rounds with them. Um, but the, the other thing I want to say is when I got down there, I, I really had to make sure that I was conscious about how many balls I was hitting and how many holes I was playing. Cause here's a guy who hasn't, doesn't play that much. I could really just, <laughs> you know, get worn out by the time the tournament came. So I was really trying to be conscientious about not hitting so many golf balls. And let me tell you, I could have hit so many golf balls just to be out there hitting next to Darren Clark and Davis Love and, you know, Mike Weir and all those guys. But I had to kind of make sure that I, you know, held my swings to a minimum. I played 18 holes Monday and then I played nine Tuesday and nine Wednesday. Uh, I could have played 18 all three days, but by the fourth day, I would have been exhausted. Yeah, that's a great point. Plus, you're talking about, you know, middle of summer. Um, and, and while it wasn't overly hot and humid that week, you know, like we can get here in the Northeast, um, you know, it was still toasty at times. Yeah, it wasn't an easy walking course. There was some hills, and um, but the greens and tees were pretty close together. But it was an experience. I, I really enjoyed it. I would do it again in a heartbeat. I, I will definitely know what I qualified for. Uh, <laughs> um, but it was almost like I, I set up the, the tournament because I it was close to me. I think if I was in California, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have tried to qualify. Uh, you know, I looked at the qualifying site and I said, oh, I played that course before. I'm pretty good at that course. It's not a long course. Uh, I have a chance to qualify there. And then I looked at where the tournament was and I said, oh, I could probably drive there. So I looked it up and said, oh, it's probably take about five or six hours and won't have to spend you know any money 
you know, flying any anywhere or, you know, so it was kind of like, I don't know, just, the, it just happened that way. Yeah. Just out of convenience. Yeah. It wasn't even, you know, planned. Sometimes those are the, the best experiences. Yeah. It was what, fun. Uh, what, what, what kind of lasting thoughts do you have from playing that week that really kind of stand out in your mind that, you know, you can 20, 30 years from now, you'll look back and be like, you know, yep, that's it. I, I can remember that moment, you know, like it was yesterday. Well, obviously the putt on 11, that was, you know, really magical and fun and yeah, no business making it. And, you know, when it went in, you know, you never hear really the work, like, you know, the roars of the crowd as much as that. And, uh, it was fun. Uh, the, you know, being with my family, the family being there, uh, having my brother on the bag was really special and fun. Uh, the course, the experience of the the showers. Oh my gosh, um, that's was, a hallmark, right? Like that's that people don't believe me. Like that's you can literally make or break like a course evaluation based on you know how good their like toiletry services are. <laughs> that's a typical male, but it was unbelievable. And someone had mentioned to me, he goes, "You got to take a shower there." And I, the first day I was there, I took a shower, and then I ended up taking two. <laughs> So I take one before my round, then I take one after my round. It was like, it was unbelievable. Um, and I was like, I think I was the only one doing it. The locker room attendant was like, I think you're the only one taking a shower. <laughs> He's like, hey, hey, Bry, stall one is, is open for you, buddy. Like, your shower's ready for you. <laughs> yeah, it was hilarious. And then, you know, signing autographs was really interesting. You know, when I signed checks for the bills and stuff or, you know, whatever, uh, my, you can't even read my, <laughs> it's like a bunch of loops and a T, you know, and I had to practice my signature so people could read it. <laughs> that is, I, I, that is some great behind the scenes content right there. Like I don't have a good signature. It's just not readable. And so I wanted to make sure that people knew who, who was in the tournament. So I, I practiced slowing down my my signature and a couple of times you know that the kids come up to you and you're like can you sign my flag and i'm yeah so i'm, I'm sitting there trying to you know think of how i'm going to sign this thing slowly a <laughs> <laughs> cursive s in the capital you know how do i make you know it was it was really weird it was the kid must have thought i was a you know dummy for not knowing who it was but uh that's awesome. I remember at one point, you know, middle of the round, this is like competitive round. I think it was uh, Friday. Uh, you know, I'm walking behind and I, I think it was Friday when I had met your wife and the girls and everything. And uh, we were walking and this guy came up with this little kid and he was like, hey, can I get an autograph? And you're like, uh, y like, you can, but I'm kind of playing right now, dude. Like, just come yeah. see me at the end, please. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, I remember that. It was on one. Yeah, it was on the back nine. Or it was yep. back nine. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I felt bad. Like you know, that's. But, you know, the the amateur that we were playing with, you know, snubbed him, and then, I think I, I don't know if I signed it or not, but. Uh, they just don't realize, you know, that you're that you're trying to play and focus and. But. 
Yeah, yeah that it's was like good. it's like would you run out onto a baseball field right when they're taking warmups to the first base and be like, hey, before you throw the next ball out, like, can you sign this for me? Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, I'm trying to think what else. I mean, just watching those guys practice. You know, I was watching Ernie Els hit some chips pitches. Uh, Mike Weir hitting some chips and pitches. I mean, not that they're at a different level, but it's so fun to watch. You know, some guys just do it better and. The, you know, the spin, the contact. Um, it, was there anything, like, discernible that you were able to pick up, you know, as, as you know, like, because, look, I, I spent a lot of time in the practice range there watching and talking to these guys, and quite honestly, you know, like, in my mind, I'm like, hell, I'm doing the same thing as them. Obviously, <laughs> I am not doing the same thing as them. Um, but you're someone that literally does the, the same thing as them. Do you pick up anything from other pros watching them play? I think it's just that little bit more consistency of hit, you know, and it's the same trajectory. It's the same spin. You know, it's the quality of hit more often. I think I could do that, you know, one out of five times and then they're doing it more times out of 10, you know, it's, mm. um, but it's not, I guess that's the discernible difference. It's probably, you know, one or two golf balls that are, I miss and then they're hitting, you know, of the same trajectory and same spin. I think it's just more consistency. But also, I thought they were big. Like, Ernie Yells is a big dude. Oh, he's enormous. Yeah, he's like legit 6'2", 6'3". Yeah, and he's just and, big. And big, yeah, yeah. I just one, felt- of the, uh, one of the first guys, I don't remember where I was. This is years ago when Tom Lehman still played on the PGA Tour. And maybe it might have been one of my first tournaments ever. This is probably going back to, you know, late 90s, uh, early 2000s. And I remember seeing him walking and just being a full head taller than people and talking, turning to my buddy Scott, who does the podcast with me, and saying, Scott, like, is that Tom Lehman? And he was like, nah, Tom Lehman's not that tall. Yeah, right. And he, yeah, and he kind of hung out where we were, and we just started kind of chatting with him a little bit, just BS stuff. And I looked at him, I'm like, dude, you are so tall. And he's like, yeah, I kind of get that a lot. The TV really doesn't show it. And I think that's one of the things, too. Like, there are guys that are smaller, like, you know, Rory, you know, JT, Jordan Spieth. But some of these guys, you know, are units. They're specimens out there. Yeah. But even the small guys have their fit. You know, they're... They got big legs, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're not. They're fit. They're. They got big backs. I don't know. They're just like I'm a scrawny dude. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's just the. I put them on pedestals, you know. I don't know. Yeah, but, well, I, I think that I think that's probably definitely a a thing, right? Guys, you see on TV over and over, you're like, "Whoa, they're good enough for TV. They must be really that good." But then when, you know, if you blindfolded people or, or took the nameplates away, right, on the range, you know, I, I mean, gosh, to, to my semi-untrained eye, I mean, yeah. you can't really notice much of the difference, you know? No, probably not. Uh, it would take a trained eye probably to see or, or just hear the difference. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, yeah, it was, it was a great time. It was fun. Great experience. Definitely going to try again. Um, I already looked at where they're qualifying in Massachusetts for next year. And then they're, I think they're playing in Wisconsin or Michigan, something like that. Okay. 
Well, that's. I was going to ask you this. I want to kind of get you out of here on on, on this. Here. I want to be, you know, cognizant yeah. of your of your time. Uh, what what does twenty twenty three look like? You know, there's. I don't want to say there's expectations now, but you've proven to yourself and everyone, like, you know, I'm at this level. I can play at this level. Are we, are we looking to take that further? Are we looking to kind of, um, you know, re up from where we were? Yeah, I'm gonna take it. You know, I'm still gonna look at where they are and. You know locations uh i really i'm really cheap so i don't really want to travel too far and you know spend time in a hotel so our section is a big section so i'll try to play in a few section events that's the new england section so all the pga members uh would get to play in those tournaments um depending on where the u.s open qualifier is i might do that again but that's a that's a tough road to hoe there that's um you got one round and if you make it then you go to two rounds at the uh sectionals in in one day i mean it's great and you get to play with some really cool players my brother was a good player actually played with cam young uh two years ago at the sectionals and it's really weird how his career has you know gone way up yeah and my brother was like, this guy is unbelievable. This guy hits it. My brother's pretty long. And he said he was covering him by 50, 40, wow. 50. like ridiculous. Uh, he said, you can't compete with that. Like if he has his driver on, he's going to have wedges into all the holes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't oh. care how, how good you are. If you're hitting, you know, six, seven iron in and someone's hitting pitching wedge. I mean, yeah. gosh, even if they're not hitting their marks, they're still closer than you most of the time. Yeah. And so I guess, I mean, the schedule, we'll kind of see how it pans out, what it looks like. I, again, I just did some, I hadn't signed up yet. It doesn't sign up until end of February, I think, uh, for the senior open. Um, and we'll look at some of the other sites uh, close to New England and see where they are, if I've played the course or if I like the course or whatever. Um, and then probably just playing a few like client events, I try to take my clients out a little bit on the course to play some fun rounds, um, and then maybe some section of tournaments. Look at some pro ams to see if I can bring some clients out. But again, it's probably not going to be a full fledged schedule. You're dealing with work and kids and and family, so you got to make sure you're you're there a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And you've got an awesome wife, awesome kids, you know, I got to meet, which is, you know, super cool and makes perfect sense because you're just such a down to earth guy. Um, you know, and it was it was awesome. I mean, that, that literally was probably the highlight of my week is is getting to meet you and, and, and kind of connect, you know, like the behind the scenes stuff is cool. You know, talking to some of the other pros are cool. But honestly, like, let's be real. Some of them have no substance behind them whatsoever. You know, they're just like so media trained, they won't even give you, yeah. you know, anything whatsoever. And it's always cool in golf finding the the real people that are out there. Well, thanks, man. It was nice meeting you as well. Um, I was a little nervous doing your little microphone things. <laughs> I'm not good in those situations trying to think of like songs or iPods or. Um, no, you did. Hey, you did great. And I, I, I tell you, I told you this last time too, which is. A few people DM me and they're like, "Was he talking about an iPod?" I'm like, <laughs> "I was like, yes, it's the senior tour. Like, yes, you know, they're you know, cut them some slack, man." <laughs> uh, 
I'm surprised they even remember half the stuff that happened at Saucon Valley. Yeah. <laughs> but it was fun. It was a good time. Yeah, it was very cool. Um, so listen, tell people where, you know, where, where can they reach you? If you're in the New England air, if you're in, you know, Southern Massachusetts, how can they get in touch if they're looking for lessons, if they want to come out and, you know, meet you and maybe set something up? Yeah. Um, I work at Harmon Golf Club, which is in Rockland, Massachusetts. Uh, I have a website. It's Bry Spitz Golf, but the spelling is different than my name. So it's. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Why is that? Uh, like my, my, speaking of age, my AOL, uh, address, <laughs> is a, a B-R-Y-S-P-I-T-S. Cause the other, there was a Brian Spitz already. Oh, okay. And, uh, so I had to spell it a little differently. Um, so yeah, it's, it's B-R-Y-S-P-I-T-S golf.com. And so you can, you know, fill out the info sheet there and see my resume or whatever and some pictures and we can set up a lesson awesome very cool well brian again thank you for your time you know greatly appreciated and uh let's let's talk again when you qualify for the u.s open you know wherever it may be definitely i appreciate the time uh thanks for doing this again um it's a pleasure meeting you and good luck with your podcast and uh Sounds like you're doing a great job. Thanks, bud. I appreciate it. All right, people. So either get busy golfing or get busy dying. Podcast patrons, Leave the Pin Podcast is super stoked to have Gas House Golf as their official clothing sponsor for the podcast. Go to gashousegolf.com. Find them on all forms of social media at Gas House Golf. Gas House makes affordable, eye-catching, one-of-a-kind polos that help you stand out from the crowd. Why spend 75, 100, or even more on polos that make you look like everybody else when you can get one at an affordable price from Gas House Golf? Hit the ball a mile and look damn good doing it.